we've got here is a failure to communicate. Welcome back to another episode of Epsilon Reporting on air. Hey, it's me, and I'm joined here with another guy. What's up, man? What's up? Hey, so um, kind of wanted to talk about friendship. This is a little bit more interpersonal, and then I'm curious if it resonates with anyone else. But I felt kind of um, like uh, disenchanted, if you want to call it that, or uh, uh, what was the term that they call a lot of youth, like uh, disillusioned. Uh, something like that, just left wanting more. And so earlier, just before we started recording this, you were saying that you really enjoy doing podcasts and doing stuff like that. And I, I love it. I think this is like more stuff like this, more interactions helps build and forge a stronger friendship and relationship. I, I don't know if it's just me and my friend group. Uh, but I feel like, I feel like the predominant times that we interact is like partying and then less like joint efforts. And that's actually part of the reason I started Epsilon is to build more joint efforts because for me, that's what develops. That's what progresses a friendship. And so, uh, I don't know if you felt anything similar. No, yeah, that resonates with me heavily. And I just got to point out, I pointed this out before, um, just from doing my own podcast and stuff, but think about, how unfortunately unique it is for friends to just set aside time just to talk. Like this is sort of a unique scenario we're playing out right now, just for humans in general now. Like, unfortunately, I can't even remember the last time besides sitting with my fiance at like 3 a.m., you know, laying down or whatever, where I just sat aside with a friend and talked to them for an extended period of time. And that's so valuable. And I agree with you that 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 sets a different tone for the relationship, that that sets you communicate to each other that you do just want to spend time with each other and you, you, you admire the person they are, or you at least value them. And you don't need always just constant stimulation. Cause not only do I have that problem you, you expressed about when you're only hanging out in your friend groups at parties or something, that's like, there has to be an excuse to get with each other. But it seems like in general, just with all the, the excess of stimulation, the abundance rather that, that we have, that people will just like come over to someone's house and then everybody's either on their phone or like we're all plopped in front of a TV Mm -hmm. or something. And yeah, there's, there's not that, that interaction happening, learning about each other. And this is one of my favorite things for that reason too. I would say that's the primary reason I started a a podcast before was just to have an excuse to talk to people who I probably wouldn't get to talk to in long Mm -hmm. form. Yeah. Yeah. And also kind of like just, on a personal level as well. I think, uh, a lot of times I hear people like, Oh, the generations aren't the same. Like, and I think about like how many philosophers there were in the past and all that stuff. And it doesn't seem like there's, it seems like the rate at which a new, like profound philosopher, uh, is like published or publicized anything about them, like really rises above the other noise, uh, has slowed down. It seems like it's rare. We don't have it too many like philosophers anymore. And I think kind of what you were talking about distraction, I think, uh, right now it, you could, someone born right now could go their entire lifetime without like ever talking to themselves without ever like but examining their mind yeah and uh, i think that like in the past (laughs) 
I'm almost curious if uh, we had the same distractions, if the same brilliant philosophers would have risen to the top. Because in the past, probably to an extent out of like disillusionment, but also sheer boredom, like I'm going to start thinking about shit. I'm going to start thinking about what today, what's the smallest you can go? Is it a pebble? Nope, it's not a pebble. Is it a grain of sand? Nope, it's probably an atom. Yeah. Something like that. And you so, know, like they, they really had to, uh, They well, I don't know. I don't want to contradict myself like instantaneously, but it's like, I feel like they didn't have to deal with boredom as much, but they also at the same time had to, because they, they had to deal with boredom. You know, they, they had to just deal with like sitting there and not always having a distraction. They had to, you know. Or maybe they had to confront boredom at an earlier age and they had to like understand that this was part of their life Mm -hmm. and then because of that they're able to deal with it more because nowadays like hell sometimes i'll eat like um really spicy packets of like pepper sauce uh because it staves off boredom (laughs) like some some moments at work perspective is so different nowadays you know it's funny we're talking about like old philosophers too because i think I think Plato credited Socrates with saying this, but really it was Plato, but he said something along the lines of how a life without examining your mind is a life not worth living. Mm. It's pretty, it's, I guess, dark in a sense, but also it's just like that perspective is so different because of how they dealt with boredom back then. It's like, yeah, it probably wasn't worth living, but nowadays we're just like crazily surrounded by distractions and you could just chase the dragon and so many different methods throughout your entire life now. Mm. And then I do that oh, at work. Scary. Um, I'll like I'll go in the back. I actually did that recently. I, I was like sitting there, kind of bored. And that's actually one thing I've learned, and I have gotten better at. If if I realize I'm bored in a situation, I'm like, how can I turn this? How can I make this more memorable? And so um, I was sitting there at work, kind of bored. Heard uh, some of the guys working in the shop, and I like went back and I'm like, guys, gentlemen, uh, just as an unexamined thought is not worth thinking. An unexamined life not worth living. And then I like walked away and like as I was shutting the door, I just heard people like starting to crack up. <laughs> at first everyone was like, what? <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I, I love that stuff. So I was kind of thinking about one thing that's left me wanting with friends and kind of a, not necessarily an inability to connect, but kind of a hesitation to is I think people really struggle with being able to articulate who they are. And I don't know if once again, that's because of said distractions. I don't mean to sound like an old man, but like because of um, like online, uh, how everyone interacts online, stuff like that. You have very short, like for instance, dating apps, you like sum up who you are as an individual with like two lines. And so I think that's a skill that's harder to come by is people that can adequately articulate who they are. I've said it to people in the past because I, I've noticed that during conversations, I will like hold people's attention and like, I'll bring up something off to the side, like, Oh yeah. And I also shoot, I'm going out to the range this weekend, something like that. And people are like, damn dude, you do a lot. I genuinely don't think I do. I, I think I'm like an average person with above average skills of articulating who I am. Because there's people that like super freaking boring. You're just like, oh yeah, anyway. Oh, where'd you uh, where'd you learn about that, or where'd you get that necklace? And they're like, well, I was in Greece helping uh, refugees, and it's what? Why didn't you lead with that? Also, another thing that uh, I've kind of been thinking about. I don't know if I told you this thought yet, but 
I feel like I'm perpetually stuck in amateur hour. I know it's a dangerous and slippery slope to be overly critical of people, but I think too often people will flake on plans. They will just flat out forget things. I think this culture is unforgiving in the wrong ways or in a lot of ways. And um, it's too forgiving in other ways. I think a lot of that is, I'm sorry to interject, but I think a lot of that is a side effect of being just overly stimulated and distracted all the time. I think, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of moving parts in that, but a part of it is just people. It's, it's less of a, like human connections, less of a necessity. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't need to be as skilled in it because there's other things that we could be doing. Mm -hmm. And yet it's, it's hard to debate that human connection is like one of the most fulfilling parts of life as a human. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out. Like that's just, that's, it's, it's huge and not to sound like an old man either, especially as such a young man, but I love that though. I think that, um, a lot of times, oh, and I'll get back to your comment about as a young man, Mm -hmm. um, just about the YMCA. Uh, no, (laughs) I think that, so I think there are like objective values or I mean, kind of loose with that term objective, but like things that we definitely value things that were damn near hardwired to appreciate and get fulfillment out of. And like, for instance, love, companionship, what have you throughout the ages, the line that used to be direct, like I need, I, I wish I was loved more. I'm going to go do whatever. I'm going to go pillage a town and get a wife. No, I'm kidding. But, um, I think the direct line between what we want and how to get it has been skewed. And so we're living in like a, a very modern culture that certain things have progressed so quickly that if, if I'm lonely, I I don't mean to bring up the online dating again, but like, I'm lonely. No one loves me. I'm going to go on online dating, which will like, that's one of the fastest ways to feel as hollow and as empty as an individual. And so I think, uh, we just kind of need to re-examine like, how can I achieve these things in a healthy manner? I actually came up with a concept, which is a social fasting. Basically it's, when you're when you're in that state, you're blinded by loneliness. You will do anything for other people. Like you, you just become like a people pleaser. You mirror any kind of things that they say in like an argument, debate, or just a conversation. You're like, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. On the flip side, whoever you're talking to, that can leave them empty as well because they're like, I, I didn't come here to have a conversation with myself. I came here to grow. With this social fasting, if you realize that you're like you're so almost like cripplingly lonely. Take a moment, see if you can center yourself, center your faculties, and then see what you can develop about yourself. Try. I know it's super hard. It's almost like us trying to grasp our own mortality. It's like us trying to grasp our own failings. Like the human brain, I think to uh, an extent is hardwired to build a comprehensive version of yourself without flaw. And obviously there's people on the other side, which think they're like, continuously riddled with flaws, even when they're not. But I think a lot of times we have to take a look, examine, see how we can become a better person. Because once again, to if you're lonely, nowadays, a really good route to fulfill that is to work on yourself. And then people gravitated towards that because seldomly are there well, well, what's the term? Well adapted individuals. And so I think people get drawn to stability. And back to what I was saying earlier about like amateur hour is that's another thing is like, it seems like stability is lacking as well. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've just been. That's a thought that keeps reoccurring. Is like, what am I stuck in amateur hour? Uh, and and when when you say that, you mean the people you're surrounding yourself around, like like that's what you mean by amateur hour, right? You're not referring to yourself as much. Um, not no, okay. and even with like coworkers or other people that I meet, stuff like that. Like I've had uh, acquaintances that I remember something and like, oh yeah, hey, this is set up or blah blah blah, and they're like, oh, that's super cool that you. Uh, uh, that you remembered that and it kind of as a joke I'm like yeah I'm a professional a professional what a professional me like I, I think I think the standard as to which we hold ourselves to has like slowly been like slipping through a series of like people excusing different behaviors like, yeah, yeah that's I, th- I think I think the bar is partially lowered because people do assume that they have this abundance that everybody's got this abundance of people in their life. So their company, for instance, just one example, isn't as important. Mm. Like they're like, oh, well, it's okay for me to be on this person because they've got other people. They've got 600 friends on Facebook. They've they've got all these different avenues to meet people. And I, f- I feel like that does, that does fuck with like their value system of their, like them valuing their company with friends and, and what they need to do to maintain that friendship. They're like, oh, no, I can just I can fix this with a text or something. I feel like maybe it seems like I'm getting too fixated on the technology aspect of it. But I, I guess I'm more just speaking to that as a general phenomenon. No, I love that. That's actually great. I uh, that it reminds me of like that uh, that phenomenon. Like if a bunch of people are fighting, it's easier to fight like a group of people because everyone assumes that the other person will do more to fight. And because of that, no one like fights the same or like if there's a fight going on. And like, there's a bunch of bystanders. It's like less people will dial nine one one because they figure someone else will do it. Yeah, I actually I haven't thought about that. That's that's interesting. I and that could be linked to people under evaluating their own value as like a friend or what have you. Yeah. So especially with all of these factors we've been talking about, more than ever, I think it's worth as you kind of put before, like setting yourself aside and working on yourself and making sure that like that you've got your shit under control and that you're attracting the right kinds of people mm-hmm. and everything. Cause, cause I feel like that that's kind of another little angle that we could take with it too, about not going into like the law of attraction or any of that shit, but just, you know, you're kind of like, you are what you eat and you'll, you'll attract what, what more or less what you are. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not, then it's a problem with your environment. It's just factoring in all these different angles will help you navigate your life better. Yeah. And so I think that's difficult because Usually the uh, the way that people get added to my social group is via like friends of friends. And then with that logic, you're bound to find people that are also more similar, like mm-hmm. only a few degrees of difference from your other friends. And I think that's one reason why I end up meeting a lot of people that have moved across the country when shit gets weird or they like need a change of environment. I think because the the options for finding new friends are like a lot of times online based and by all means you find great people in like bars or other social events and all that stuff. And I I think we're like, for instance, meetup, uh, that, that website where like just random people go and like go on a hike and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that is a reaction to our current environment of like how hard it is to meet genuinely new individuals with like, or even how like taboo that's become. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, you, I can't just approach people on the street. I can, but I would say at least 
and this is generous, at least 50% of people are going to be like, why the fuck are you talking to me right now? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why are you just approaching me? You're like, like on the other side, they might be overly charmed by it because they're like, wow, people don't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. People don't just come up and strike up a conversation. Wow. But they also might be scared. I don't know. Yeah. Context matters, but I just had to point that out. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I totally agree. Like if I think a lot of times people think it's flirting too. And it's like, get over yourself, dude. I'm not trying to hit on you. Let's like, I just want to go out to lunch with you and see, go swimming with you, maybe in a hot tub. No, <laughs> but, um, also I has think, what time it was. I only tell my friends what time it was. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I, uh, that's important with my whole like rant about amateur hour is to turn that, uh, Uh, that microscope or whatever you want to call it inwards, like examine the self. And I've kind of, uh, I've kind of been working with that idea because one thing that has left me like feeling more like empty as it pertains to different friends and like less enamored with the prospect of developing those relationships is that it seems that people, they don't hit you up as often. They're like, uh, you'll say, Hey, you want to hang out? Yeah, sure. I want to hang out. You guys hang out. You have like a good time. And then, like they never hit you up, hit you up. And obviously it's not like a point system or anything. Like it doesn't have to be totally even, but it, it feels like really good for people to hit you up. And after a few uh, moments of that, I just like would be like, you know, if I'm going to hang out with people that like blatantly show they want to hang out with me, yeah, which that has been working. But also um, another kind of like realization that I had is that people are going through shit. Like, uh, I, I think I do have an excess amount of energy and whether that's diet or genetics or what, I think, uh, almost think of energy as kind of like a flex account where you have this currency, you have to spend it. And once I've spent enough on myself and I have this extra money or extra energy in this case, I have to spend it on something. And usually I'd like to spend it on other people. So I kind of had this realization that if people don't hit you up, don't just assume that they don't want to hang out with you instead assume that they're like probably going through depression and anxiety with how like crazily widespread that is in today's world and so they're probably who knows they might even be like hey i want to hang out with this dude but i don't know if i'd be annoying him or bothering him yeah and so because i think you'd be so surprised too if you experiment with that often Mm -hmm. because that's what i had to do because i I dealt with very similar things and you know even wrote a blog about and everything and I was just, I, it's funny, I was surprised every single time when I, I started to get that sort of narrative in my head that, oh wow, like they haven't hit me up, it feels like I'm always hitting them up, yada, yada, yada. And I was surprised every time to find that when I messaged them like, hey, I'd really like to see you soon. Can we do this on this day? And they're like excited and they're like, yeah, like I've been wanting to, like, sorry, I haven't. And then you end up like meeting up with them and it's, you pick up where you left off or whatever the case. Not saying that's always the case. Mm-hmm. And then you can learn something if it's not and they keep blowing you off. You're like, okay, maybe this is an arm, an arm's length friend or whatever. Mm-hmm. But those people that you do get surprised by who like show you that, oh yeah, like I, like they were just going through something or maybe they don't have that reservoir of of energy that you're talking about as much as you do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're, if you're capable, then that, that, that burden may be on you sometimes with certain people. They may, they may just not have that in them. It it could all be circumstantial too. Maybe, maybe, and hopefully not, it'll flip around and they'll be the one who's going to have to come to you when you're the one that's either struggling or just you have a, you're spinning a ton of plates at once mm-hmm. and it's hard to imagine setting aside time for a friend at that moment, but then they hit you up and 
and you realize like, oh, wow, like I needed this. I need to go like set aside time for myself. Yeah, I wish I had the mental bandwidth to kind of like apply a mirror to my thoughts. Whatever I think about other people, imagine them thinking the same thing. And then like, okay, yeah, if I have the extra energy, why not act on it? Also, that kind of gets into another thing that's helped me out a lot recently, uh, which is just like kind of flipping things, like doing my hardest uh, to not, or like doing my best to not find the negative. Almost go out of my way to find the negative. Even if people give me like a really good reason to find a negative uh, or interpret the situation negatively, avoid that. So, um, and that's helped a lot with like, giving people like multiple chances because kind of as we were talking about earlier i think people just struggle with communication and i i want to find different terminology but uh i might edit this part out but uh in the past you probably heard me say it where i just assume everyone's autistic and um i want to find like a different terminology because obviously i don't want to be like offensive to genuinely autistic people but i think like everyone struggles with like connection social dynamics yeah and they don't know what's going on they like it's kind of like i'm an idiot they're an idiot everyone's an idiot no one knows what's going on and everyone has a right to be here and just like those constant like reminders any of those tools to kind of liberate yourself from the negativity yeah i'm um, all about that liberation and uh and try to retrain yourself to be more positive make that inner narrative more positive instead of constantly feeding it more and more negativity Hmm. yeah i'm big on that (laughs) i um have you heard the youtuber uh zay frank no actually ah dude i gotta show you some of his stuff he's really cool and like i've been finding a lot of good youtubers lately so i'm really into that idea definitely just send me some shit (laughs) yeah well he's like one of the like original youtubers like just did stuff a long ass time ago and um he did this very cool well, I, I guess to make it more relevant and then I'll like just rant about Zay Frank later. Um, there's so many times where he presents something and I found that I'm like, oh, that's lame. Like, for instance, he'll be like, I'm sure all of you have seen this. And it's like a bunch of young kids looking down at their phone. And um, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, he's going to like it's a critique on how we don't socialize and we're always looking at our phones or something. And he's like, life is happening here. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that interesting, valuable things are happening online. And so there's, that's one of the things that kind of helped me realize that I don't think I have like a huge problem with seeing things negatively, but I see more things than I could see negatively. Mm -hmm. And so your your perspective could always be widened. Yeah, definitely. And just like, just more energy. And that, that gets back into kind of in that last podcast we were talking about where like sadder thoughts, more negative things. I don't know why, but it seems like they come into the brain easier when you're low energy. Like when you're, when you're sick, you're laying in bed. Like I found that if you're laying in bed, just negative thoughts happen. It's like, Hey, remember that one time you were like in sixth grade and the shitty stuff happened? I'm like, damn it. Why? I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's part of human nature. I mean, when things are good, you don't, you don't feel, I think it's like a survival thing. I think when things are good, your brain doesn't automatically start contemplating why things are good. It's sort of like how there's way more bad Yelp reviews out there about anything because, you know, people, people feel like voicing their complaints or thinking about what to complain about more often than, than they will like write a good review about somewhere because, you know, they enjoy themselves. They're satisfied and they're like, yeah, you know, like I don't, I don't have to do anymore. Like this, this was good. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not the best way of putting it, but yeah, it's like, no, I love that. Thing. what if, um, 
what if Yelp reviews or like any kind of website that worked on reviews like that was like semi time based that if a certain period of time without any negative reviews happened, it would auto generate a good review kind of to take into account that like bias that what really motivates people is the negativity. I feel like a good review might be, might be too much. Maybe like a neutral review would be more fair because a lot of people are just technologically, I don't want to say illiterate, but a lot of people are just like technologically lazy and they're, mm-hmm. they're also just like, they don't do reviews at all. I'm referring to myself mostly. I don't, I don't, I don't remember the last time I reviewed something, even something that I liked. Unfortunately, I, I try to support like, like artists and, uh, and like podcasts and stuff like that, you know, but like, by like buying their apps or, or buying their stuff on Amazon, get them money or, but yeah, I, I'm not good about that stuff. So I've like the last review I did was, um, I reviewed the, uh, the shop that my girlfriend works at and like, I know a few of her other employees and like, they're great people. And so I've reviewed, I like put it in a review like oh she's great all these people and I like called out a bunch of people by name I'm like they gave such a warm welcoming environment where like I just really wanted to come back and I think this is going to be the predominant like hangout that I go to and so uh, uh, she my girlfriend let me know later that her manager found that and she has no idea who I am her manager and so she like told everyone and was like hey we got a great review from this random stranger and so I kind of misused the review. I just like did that to lift other people up. So I mean, you boost the morale. They'll probably be more motivated at work. Mm-hmm. They, they want more of that. Some dopamine got released there, and that's what motivates us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just remember the cerebral cortex exists to appease the limbic system, not the other way around. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's so interesting how like sticky the human experience is. What do you, um, kind of like a weird thought, uh, thought experiment. I wonder if we would still be able to be defined as humans without our failings, like anxiety, depression, jealousy, like think of any kind of emotion that's sticky and that like people could get less of. So I was, I was kind of thinking about like almost kind of like a black mirror esque technology that could like a neural lace or something. I think actually Elon Musk coined that term. Yeah. Some kind of interface where you can change the like cyclical thinking. So like that, uh, hate, jealousy, uh, negative emotions, depressions, what have you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like, I'm curious what would be left? Like how much of the human experience would be like still around? without the sticky parts of the human experience. I think it's worth thinking about why we cultivated those those uh, human qualities in the first place. You know, I think they came from primitive survival things, you know, like like how much different, you know, anxiety manifests in a modern day society versus the uh, just the primitive survival um, quality it, it had in people in the beginning. You know, again, we talked about it in the last podcast about how anxiety is like, you know, it, 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 it's a survival tactic of like planning and, and you, you worry about the future or it gets you just to jump up and run away when you start to hear a noise from way behind you or something, you know, even if it's like 30 feet behind you, you're like, okay, maybe I should move. And you feel like the need to change where you're at, like, or what you're doing. Yeah. Mm. Like that's, that's, uh, it can, it can be helpful. Survive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's worth like, it's think worth thinking about where that, that stuff originates 
as far as would it make us any less human? I would say no, but I guess it's because I'm going down this rabbit hole of thinking of like, well, this sort of thing is probably inevitable, kind of like how we're going to make AI. And, you know, people think like that's going to make you less human too, relying on AI to do our jobs and Hmm. do all of that. But it's hard to say it would make us any less human because it just seems like something humans would do. Yeah. And th- that's only one one uh, like logical track there, but that's the first one that I came to for some reason. <laughs> mm. I think um, I like that. I like that answer. For me, I think it would make us less human because I almost think like some of the like the tropes that everyone romanticizes in like videos or like uh, movies, whatever, um, stem from those sticky things. I think some of the pressure that anxiety, like jealousy. Uh, like over romanticism leads to uh, basically adds a sense of urgency to the things we do. And I think if you were to remove a lot of those sticky, so for instance, like art, like a lot of good art comes from pain and, or like comedy, obviously not every comedian has to be traumatized or have a rough childhood, but like you can sense like a, a, an edge Mm -hmm. and, um, so I'm almost curious, like, what kind of art would be produced in uh, in said futuristic society? Yeah. And, you know, that actually, for some reason, made me think, too, of how of just the phenomenon of that you can't conceptualize the light if you don't understand and see the, the darkness, you know, heaven without hell, mm-hmm. that sort of, like, phenomenon. And, yeah, if everything, if all the bad feelings were neutralized, then you wouldn't you want to be able to feel that sense of enlightenment when you, when you aren't suffering. Mm. And I think the best parts of life are like, I feel the best I ever have. I think partially, I mean, my quality of mind has gotten so much better and it, that helps me in the day to day, but also I'm, in, I'm just in the most fruitful romantic relationship in my life. And, and the sad truth is I don't think I'd be able to appreciate it as much had I not been through a really shitty relationship previously not all my relationships were super shitty but there was like one that really stuck out as terrible Mm. same goes for her too but uh regardless yeah without having gone through that for one there's like the more the more uh tangible things like i i I needed to learn how i want to be treated and how to treat somebody else and that was a good way to, to learn it but also i just don't think i'd simply be able to just feel the raw sense of appreciation i do for my current fiance Mm -hmm. had i not gone through hell with another woman and so yeah i kind of want to like retract my initial answer almost just on from an emotional place and say yeah i think it would it it would make us less human i think the human experiences is based a lot on uh on that whole thing and and i think life is almost about like learning how to navigate it. it almost seems like what our brains are programmed to do I think it's um, I think it's great and also like kind of liberating to understand that like the human brain isn't perfect for handling right now. Kind of like what you were saying earlier, it's perfect for handling life a few thousand years ago. And actually, uh, that was another thing that was uh, a liberating realization, if you may, for me is I was bothered by how if something upset me that it would linger. And because I, I like to consider myself as relatively logical. And so if whatever was bothering me was resolved, 
I, I would still linger and I'm like, I'm still bothered by this. And it, uh, I realized that I, <clears throat> I'm a computer, I'm a chemical based computer. And when I'm upset, I have that cortisol. I have other neurotransmitters that are released. I have to understand that when I'm upset and when it's lingering longer than it should to sit there, breathe, relax, breathe in a lot of air, because then the best way to get over that feeling is to do my human thing. Just metabolize those other neurotransmitters, allow that to work it out. Yeah. Because I notice people that don't understand that, for example, uh, people will be like, I've seen couples like lash out like, Hey, uh, did you take this trash out? And it's like, uh, yeah, I did. And they were like bothered by the fact thinking that the trash wasn't out and be like, Oh yeah, that bag's actually just like towels that I need whatever. Yeah. And they're just looking for some reason to be upset now. Yeah. And then they're like, Hey, last week you did this and they're just bothered. And yeah, exactly. Instead of something making them upset, making them feel that way. Once the initial cause is gone, they then probe and look for another cause that could be justifying it. When in actuality, it's just the fact that we're like these crazy weird chemical computers. So I think it's kind of a liberally, li- whoa, liberally mm-hmm. liberating realization. Yeah. That just, uh, just that sort of scenario just makes me want to talk about mindfulness too. Just again, refer back to that about like how, you know, you should, I think it's, and it's another human quality, but it's like now kind of going back to it. I was like, I wonder if we would, I wonder if there'd be any sort of value for mindfulness. If we could just, if we could just neutralize the parts of us that, that cause suffering. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be as, as high of highs if we didn't have as low of lows, if you neutralize the suffering. And I guess there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a need for, need for mindfulness so yeah like it's it's sorry i'm kind of stuck back on that thing you were talking about like it's so interesting because if you did get rid of if you did program your brain to, to not feel depression or anxiety or a lot of those things that, that cause our suffering you would also get rid of a lot of other human qualities and wouldn't that simply make us less human just logically exactly yeah so that's, yeah that's just just to kind of wrap that up i guess yeah. i just for at least my understanding no um, i yeah i love it i um I like to think about kind of like another example of the things that kind of break a lot of what we assume is normal or like the philosophy that we've built around us is mortality. Um, like I like to think about the things in philosophy that would change if we were immortal because the, the whole yeah. point of philosophy is to live well. You talked about urgency before. Yeah, exactly. Think about how urgency would be affected if, if we were immortal and mm. suddenly it's like, well, I got a hundred, you know, 500 years to, to do that. Like, to uh to figure out like what i want to do so exactly it's like yeah i think i think having that pressure of death uh is a pretty good motivator so so that's just one thing too yeah i i totally agree and actually i i want to finish off uh one last thing i kind of hear uh uh there's a we're we're just uh, to film in any uh, or to fill in any listeners uh, we're recording this just before a party and I'm starting to hear a bunch of people show up so we got to make this fast yeah um, we should also probably not be 
so selfish to to spend an entire party just in a room. We should bring them in. Podcast. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to add about 10 people to the podcast now, everybody. What do you think about mortality? <laughs> Go. We're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. <laughs> so uh, last thing I kind of want to finish off on is I... I want to reevaluate. I, I think we talked about boredom earlier in this. Um, I want to reevaluate my relationship with time and the passing of time. And sometimes it's like painful. I like get really uncomfortable. I'm like, I wish there was more. I wish there was more going on. And actually sometimes it leads me to um, like inebriance, alcohol or what have you, where I'm like, something's got to spice this up. And so I realized like that that's not beneficial. And so I realized that I had to reevaluate my relationship with time, my sense of urgency, what I derive that sense of urgency from. All Your that. sense of time well spent, I'm guessing, too. Yeah. And so I realized that a lot of it, the, the motivator was thinking that I'm going to die and or, well, knowing that I'm going to die. And with that, uh, being like, holy shit, I got to do this before I like die or run out of time. So what I concluded on is that, or the conclusion I came to, is concluded a word? I think so. Yeah. Um, so what I came to, uh, the conclusion I came to is that instead of thinking that I'm going to run out of time and that's why I need to hurry to do something, I want to value my thoughts to such an extent that the idea of living in a world without whatever product I'm going to do or whatever action I was going to do not existing, like I, I can't wait for that to be a reality. And so with that, it kind of like flips it instead of always waiting for the inevitable death. Instead, it's excitement for the, the, uh, the future. And that's kind of like another example, possibly a more abstract version of how a lot of times the negativity uh, can be ingrained in even thoughts that aren't like, oh, I'm upset. I'm not upset. It's like, what, what's, what's a more vivacious concept? So, yeah, I definitely have weird relationships with time. And, and I, I think I've, I've approached it differently, too. I think a lot about I've thought about longevity for a while, too. And I, and I still kind of do sometimes I catch myself thinking about it. And that's, that's obviously because I feel that pressure and I, I, I want more time, but something that's helped me, this is just kind of adding on to things. I agree with everything you said, but another thing that you might find helpful if you haven't already th- like really thought about it is just, I brought up time well spent because I think it's worth thinking about like, how can I make my time feel longer in a good way? Like how can I make my days feel longer? And I think the way to do that is to not live so mundanely. And not to do the same thing every day, and then you actually like it feels like you're you're do, you're doing more in your life. Even retrospectively, you look back and you look at all the different kinds of things you did and the different ways you you spent your days with your loved ones or by yourself or thinking productively or how much happier you are in the last couple of years than you were before. It's like there's so many things you can do to make your days feel long has a has a negative connotation in relation to time. Long days, but maybe sufficient is a better way of putting it. Like having more sufficient time. Yeah. That's one theory as to why kids experience time differently is because everything's so novel. Yeah. We're that's literally true. Doing so that's many a good new point. things. Yeah. And, um, I think, I think people lament about like, Hey, I don't like things are boring. Uh, things aren't exciting enough, but they don't take action in like, I'm going to learn how, like I told you that story the other day where, um, 
my friend had a broken laptop because the char- charging port uh, broke. And I, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm going to remove it and see uh, best case scenario. I harvest the gold from the CPU. Uh, and so that's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is, uh, the component and the way it's hooked up is easy enough that I can order it off Amazon. That's what I ended up doing. The charging port itself, great laptop. <laughs> the charging port was six bucks off Amazon. And so I replaced the charging port and, uh, I've never worked with computers like that. Yeah. And that, that was super fulfilling. So, um, yeah, I, I think like, I also, we should totally do a podcast on school uh, at a later mm-hmm. time. I have a weird relationship with college. I have a degree, but I really don't like the way college is set up. And I wish, and that's actually one thing that motivates me with my different endeavors is I'm like, this is a substitution for a semester. This is a credit hour, basically. Like, because I, I appreciate the notion of constantly learning that's right. present in college. So I do want to share one thing, kind of going back to what we were saying. Um, and why you felt so good when you like, you know, it's like adults aren't actively searching for even just that sensation of novelty. It doesn't have to be something completely new or whatever, but I just think this pulls, this comes, this makes me come back to a really helpful hypothesis that I've unfortunately become too distant from. And I think it would help me to internalize more. But I think the reason that humans feel so compelled to create and to be creative and even people who don't feel creative wish they were creative is because it's one of the best ways to get that childlike novelty back where you have sufficient days, time well spent. It's being creative and that's a way to take your own novelty in your life to pave a more a more sufficient your time is better spent and your days feel longer in the right way. Yeah. I I wonder if like fulfillment is like somewhat linked to anxiety, like kind of like a less painful anxiety or or rather just anxiety is the pre fulfillments, the post, Mm -hmm. because like once again, tracking it evolutionarily, um, definitely now like a critical person, like if you were to develop all of our values right now, uh, I think people would land on that conclusion, like get, get those, those moments back, that tenacity back. Um, but if you examine like why that's a thing, it's probably because like evolutionarily people that got enough food for the winter, uh, but then had extra energy, uh, would like be anxious and like that everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Like they're safe. They're in the center of the tribe. They I think they're food. just worrying if they're, if they're spending their time well in, in whatever context that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they're like, wait, well, like I felt good when I like you know, when they like, when they killed a boar or whatever, and they were feeding their family, that makes yeah. them feel good. But then when they killed enough boar, cause they're just like the best at killing fucking boar, dude. Yeah. Like they're, they're just out they're there. They're the snap- boar killer. Yeah. They're snapping yeah. boar necks left and right. <laughs> Sorry. But, <laughs> but yeah. So like, yeah. And then I guess that, I think a lack of fulfillment comes from, uh, from probably from worrying that you're not doing what you need to do or want to do, or yeah, your time isn't being spent well. Mm-hmm. You're like, I have more time. Yeah. It's funny how that seems contradictory because like, you know, you feel like you're like, like we feel like saying our days are long when we, when we're doing the same thing every day or we feel like we have energy that's not going into the right places. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's like your days will feel longer and more sufficient if you, if you are putting your energy in the right place. I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's very interesting to me. 
Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm excited to get that job that, like, I've heard people say, like, oh, if you get a job that you love doing it, you'll never work a day in your life or something like that. Yeah. I totally murdered that saying. But, yeah, I'm excited to get to that stage and see, mm-hmm. like, what my days feel like, what my relationship to time is like at that point. Yeah, and also if, like, your free time is important, like, like your like your ideal lifestyle, I think, matters, too. I mean, mine is I'd love to be able just to, to sit and write for three hours a day and then just have a ton of hobbies spend more time with my woman go travel more it's like there's so much i'd like to be doing with my time and yeah you know i know that my days aren't going to feel super sufficient if i'm working 40 hours a week forever at a job i don't like so Mm. yeah there's there's i think nowadays i think a survival trait that people are getting is uh is we're learning that ambition and creativity and like those lead to lifestyles that are more fulfilling. And so now I think we are going to start getting a lot more ambitious and creative people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think that that's, that's fun to point out too. I'm at least hopeful of that. It'd be a more fun world to live in, wouldn't it? Hell yeah. Dude, I want to, um, for the next time we get together, I want to listen to the tail end of this just to give us ideas for like the next podcast. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like I, I'm really excited and happy to work with you. I feel like, um, both of us are the type of people that it will take a lot for us to run out of material. I know. Like we could just yeah. like, God, we didn't even get to the stuff that we were going like, to talk about yeah. again. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. Oh, I love you, yeah. man. This is great. I love you too. Do you want to, want to end this then? Want to say whatever you got to say? No, I sincerely, thanks for listening uh, to another episode of Epsilon reporting. Good night. Good luck. Thank you.